Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Ultimate Supply Chain Podcast Season 2 with the same aim of answering your burning supply chain questions. I'm Lou Barber, the Global VP of Marketing here at DHL Supply Chain, and I'm your host for the series. I'm delighted today to welcome Christopher Onis, who's the Global Omnichannel Distribution Director at Estee Lauder Companies. Chris has got over 12 years of experience in supply chain operations, fulfillment, customer care, and project management. He's launched seven distribution centers and onboarded more 3PLs than I've had hot dinners. In particular, he's interested in incorporating the ever-changing customer expectations, particularly around speed, customer experience, unboxing, etc. He's based in Houston, Texas, and he's got a 105-pound dog, Weller. When he's not doing CrossFit, he plays golf and he scuba dives. So, Chris, with all of those things to do in your spare time, how do you find time to do any work? Yeah, no, when you have a passion for what you do, um, it's really easy to find time throughout the day uh, between dog walks and going to the gym to to really dig into what matters to customers and how do we drive a really positive experience from an ELC brand standpoint for our customers, especially going into the holiday season, which is super exciting. Of course, yeah. So look, to kick things off, you've clearly got loads of experience, including a lot of time spent at Amazon. What changes have you seen over supply chain industry in the time that you've been involved? I think supply chain, especially online supply chain, really started with um, regional or even like country-led distribution centers. And I think over the past 10 years, in order to drive cost optimization, faster delivery speeds, better predictability, better SKU selection, it's really translated into a much more of a local market. Um, And how do you get distribution centers, micro distribution centers, black stores as close to customers as possible so you could deliver faster, but you also save on your last mile transportation, um, which drives a lot of logistical issues um, of making sure you have the right SKU selection closest to customers, but it really dramatically improves the customer experience. Um, Knowing that you can get something in some cases, same day within an hour, uh, really bodes well for consumer competence in the online supply chain. Sure. And I guess that's where, I mean, you're the first person I've met that's got omni-channel absolutely in your title. I'm guessing that's where omni-channel comes in. It means many things to many people. Chris, can you just tell us what it means to you? I think about omni-channel in the scope of a customer experience. Um, I think from a supply chain standpoint, you can phrase it and mean it a million different ways. But I think about it as how do we deliver to customers uh, in a way that they want their packages? Um, so I think a really good example that I have is, so living in Houston, Texas, fourth largest city in the United States, um, there's a major mall called the Galleria, um, and it's pretty much downtown. And it could take you 30 minutes to go, 15 miles to get there. Um, Este has a number of different brand stores that are in that mall. And so when we think about Omni experience, some customers want to go walk around the mall. They want to buy something in the store. Yeah. Some customers want to know what they're, if they're going to have to drive 30 minutes to get it, they want to know it's in the store. So they go online sure. and they use buy online, pick up at store. Some customers don't want to deal with the mall traffic. They don't want to go at all. So they use ship from store, which can get it to them in one or two hours. Um, some customers don't want to pay for shipping. So they say, I'm good if I get it in four days and I want to ship, I want to buy it online and we might ship it from one of our warehouses further away. Um, some customers get a product and they're not happy with it. So how do they return it? Do they want to return it and get a replacement in real time because they're going on a trip? Um, so in my mind, those are all the opportunities that Omni allows for a customer to have, to really have the supply chain their way 
And then from a supply chain standpoint, it really allows us to fi uh, figure out and dictate how we want to ship products to customers. What's the most cost efficient way to do it? What's the fastest way that we can give it to the customer? What's the best experience we can give to a customer? And so in my mind, Omni unlocks a lot of those different pieces, but ultimately what it comes down to is how do we service the customer in a way that they want to be serviced? Yeah, and I guess both of, both sides of the equation there from the provider's perspective and the customer's perspective, you're absolutely delivering that flexibility that both sides need and require. Do you see the same demands on flexibility globally or, or does it vary by region? It's a good question. I would say from my perspective, I, I call it the Amazon, Walmart, Target trends of North America have really influenced the North American marketplace to have faster right. delivery speeds. Um, UK is a smaller country. Um, so delivery times within the UK are shorter just because of the geographic size. Uh, I would say yeah. similar to Europe, all the different countries where we have providers, the travel distance is much less than larger countries. Um, and then I would say in the, the Chinese marketplace, we're starting to see more of a consumer demand for faster delivery speeds. And, and have ago. you seen any change in that over time, Chris, or, or, or is that fairly, um, is that fairly standard? For the, for the regional changes. Oh, I think it's 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 been fairly standard. Um, I think North America from a delivery speed has been that way for the past five or six years. Um, in all the other markets, really, supply chain from a speed to delivery hasn't had to improve as much because just logistically the countries are smaller and it's easier to get to the, the last mile customer. One of the things we hear a lot from our customers is um, consistency, brand consistency, standardization. Estee covers a number of brands. How do you try and align? How, how do you how do you square that circle? You've got a lot of brands, a lot of differences, a lot of different customers. How do you provide consistency and standardization within that context? I would say for most of our brands, from an online supply chain standpoint, um, it's pretty standard. The way we receive the product into the warehouses is is pretty consistent. Uh, where it's stored, yeah. the picking process is all very consistent. I think where it changes is the packing process. Um, and the packing process will vary across brands because every brand will dictate the unboxing experience that they want their customer to have. So if you take premium brands like Joe Malone, Le Maire, um, more expensive brands, they really want a packing process that takes care of how we fold the tissue paper in the box. Um, Joe Malone for the past countless years has had hand tied ribbons. So we train associates in warehouses to hand tie a bow onto the box, which is a really long process. Um, and, but ultimately the goal is the brand dictates when a customer opens up the box, what is their first impression of what's, what's in there. Um, brands that are like origins that are really sustainably based, uh, really don't yeah. want a lot of extra filler. They want the customer open the box and see that we use the bare minimum in that box, uh, in order to really champion the sustainability view, uh, that that brand wants to project to their customers. So it varies, but um, once the box is packed, regardless of the brand, it goes through the same supply chain process um, as a normal box would, um, regardless of brand. Same underlying systems and technology? Um, when it comes to systems technologies within warehouses, they're all the same. Um, we have different right. systems and technologies across different countries um, based on the need of the country. But I would say for the most part, all brands that flow through our warehouses run the same DOM systems, WMS systems, um, things of that nature. Right. So you've got standardized systems and processes, but you are absolutely delivering a customized customer experience based on the nuances of the individual brands. Yes. Yep. I received um I received a gift at the weekend from a from a dear friend. Um 
it was Joe Malone. It came through the post. I have to say, you're absolutely right. It had a beautiful bag, it had beautiful tissue paper. It was tied beautifully. The ribbon, it was exactly the same experience out of the box as it was in the store. So um, I get omnichannel. I can, as, as I opened it, I thought, Chris, um, this is what your life is spent insuring. That, you know, as a consumer, it doesn't matter whether I'm in store having that personal experience or at home having that slightly um, more distant experience. The, the experience of receiving the brand was exactly the same. Yeah. Yep. So congrats on that. Yeah. That's fantastic. How do you how do you track that customer experience, Chris? How do you work out what your customers want, and how do you work out whether or not you're you're delivering it? It's a good question. Um, so I think um, most recently in North America, we did a North America Consumers Insight Study with our online supply chain team to really figure out what what do customers want in North America, and then is this does this one in parallel to other regions? Um, and what we've really found is uh, at the very top, customers want free shipping. That's like a bare minimum buy into the market, um, free shipping that comes with it. The second major thing, which was very interesting, is predictability. Um, and I think this is an area yeah. that um, is a really growing area that Estee is putting a lot of focus into. So you might get an email when you place your order, but do you get an email or a text message when your order shipped? Do you get an email or a text message when it's out for delivery? Do you get some sort of communication when your package has been delivered? Um, and that's what a lot of customers are really driving towards right now as a, I would call it an entry stop into the market, a market for a positive experience. Um, so I think that's kind of from, for a lot of companies over the course of the next couple of years, like getting technology in place to allow for a really clear communication to the customer in, a, in an avenue that they want to be communicated with. Some customers don't want more text messages. They might want email. Some customers want the text message in the real time prompt. I know we have some apps now that alert customers that you can use. So whether the alert is the right way to go, but needless to say, predictability um, from the, the company is very important. And then as from an online standpoint, customers love our free samples. Uh, they, they expect to get free samples in the box. Um, they want to try new products that like not being able to go into a, a store and try the free samples in the store and the different tests online, we supplement that with free samples um, when you go through the checkout process. So you can get exposure to different products that you might not otherwise have exposure to. Nice. Um, how do you balance? You know, I was thinking about my unpacking experience. I did get samples, by the way, of a number of, um, I think Joe Malone are doing a couple of uh, Christmas specials, uh, seasonal specials. I got a couple of samples in, in my box at the weekend. So thumbs up for that. How do you balance that um, that unpacking experience with with brands drivers around sustainability these days. Do you is there a is there a clash there? How do you manage that? Yeah, I think it's a really good question. I think it's a very it segues between two very important pieces. So having an idea of what customers want and expect is absolutely critical. And then from my perspective, sustainability is going to be a major driving force over the next five to ten years. Uh, is kind of the next major pillar um, of what's important to customers. Um, I, I think the biggest area that we try to influence is making sure all of our boxes for all of our brands are made from recycled material, that the boxes themselves right. are recyclable. So regardless if you're buying from Joe Malone or if you're buying from Mac, um, are the Jiffy Mail is recyclable, are the boxes recyclable, and are they made from recycled content? Um, reducing or eliminating tape. So we've moved to, and now two of our regions, self-locking boxes. 
uh, for the smaller items to where they don't need tape at all. Uh, they'll self-lock, uh, they'll go through the transit system and there's no tape associated with them. And then I think the final piece that I think is still an opportunity, but I think it's more for all of supply chain is providing that luxury uh, unboxing experience um, right. that, so, so let me phrase, brown's not an attractive color. When someone opens up a box and sees brown, it's not like, oh, this is such a great experience. It's brown. Um, yeah. So how do you use or how do you find ways to color a box or add um, feeling to a box uh, without impacting um, sustainability goals? So from my mind is really looking at where ink comes from and how do we do a better job of leveraging how we color boxes uh, in a sustainable way or using sustainable ingredients? And I think that's kind of the next major step for our premium brands we're looking at is how do we get tissue paper that may be manufactured in a way that's 100% sustainable, um, that still has color to it, that still gives that visual appeal, um, but it's a positive experience for the customer still. And to what extent are you replying on uh, you relying on your supply chain partners for that, Chris? Is that something you ask your supply chain partner for, or do you expect your partner to come to you with with ideas about um, how to improve sustainability within um, within the context of the customer experience that, that, that you're requesting? It's a good question. Um, from, from my perspective, and I would say ELC's perspective, like. We're not box manufacturers and we're not ink suppliers um, and we don't understand the ins and outs of those supply chains. Um, so we do go to our um, our manufacturers, our 3PL, stuff along those lines with ideas. Um, how do we take our sustainability targets and continue to drive them to where they need to be um, over the course of this decade? Um, but we really leverage the expertise of our suppliers to say, hey, what, what are options that we have in this field? And maybe we don't end up selecting those options. Um, yeah. But we still go to them with with ideas of how we can do it. And I think DHL was a good example, not related to boxing, but when we talk about aviation and aviation fuel and how do we drive down um, emissions when it comes to that, or at least have um, sustainable options. Uh, the the reusable, what's not reusable? It's the, the, the difference as an aviation fluid that are available within the DHL team. Um, were options that, again, that we didn't come up with ELC, but were provided to us by our suppliers. So. Yeah. And is there, is there something you expect from supply chain partners to help you with that, that white glove experience, that, that final bit of the brand delivery? How, how does your suppliers help you with that? Suppliers are critical. Like the, the, the white glove last mile delivery to me is an extension of the customer experience. Yeah. Um, they're the last person that the customer potentially sees uh, dropping off the box um, on the ring doorbell or their camera outside their door, or they physically interact with them. And I think that yeah. experience, it leaves a lasting impression about the entire shopping experience. Like the, they might have had a negative shopping experience the whole time for whatever reason. But if someone delivers the box to them, smiles, is a really nice, friendly gesture, that's going to be a lasting impression for that customer. Or you have the opposite. I'm sure all of us have seen some version of a ring doorbell or a camera capturing a delivery driver, maybe not treating the box so nicely um, on that last bit. And yeah, we've all seen that YouTube video, haven't we, with the television? Oh, the, yep. Television, the ring doorbells of suppliers just chucking the box 10 or 15 feet onto the porch. Um, that leaves a lasting impression and it reflects the brand. Um, the customer doesn't think, they, the customer might tie it to the driver, but the customer also says, well, why does ELC have drivers from that company if they don't care about the product that much? Um, ELC talks about the unboxing experience and all that, and then they they contract with drivers 
that don't care about it. Uh, and it, that does leave a lasting impression. So I think partnering and the white glove experience for me is in my mind, especially for ELC, we think about the tertiary packaging as being this protective layer to protect the product inside of it. Um, I think we're getting to the point from my perspective that if the box comes damaged in any way, shape or form, even if the product's undamaged, it impacts yeah. that white glove experience that Estee wants to deliver to the customers. If the box is wet because it rained outside, it impacts that white glove experience because the customer questions, do they really care about the box, the product inside the box? Um, so I, I think it's a very interesting conundrum that we're getting to because my entire life in supply chain, the box is meant to protect. The box isn't meant to do anything but protect the product inside. And now it's almost Absolutely. like the box needs to look brand new when it gets to the customer throughout the whole supply chain experience. Absolutely. And I think that's something that the, the, your, your supply chain partners need to, to think about. Essentially, we're taking the place of that, of that store representative. With, as you say, we're in the place of the brand delivering that brand experience at the point of contact with the brand. Um, and again, I guess that links really nicely into how omnichannel works. That brand pass on happens somewhere, whether it's a, um, you know, through through delivery or or an in store experience. Yeah. Let's move on to returns. What technological steps are you taking to make sure that the returns experience for your brands is? is as good as the delivery experience? Yeah, it's a really good question. Returns are really complicated within Estee across different marketplaces and how we process them. Um, we've gotten to the point within two of our regions to where a customer can go online, print out a return mailing label, slap it on the box, um, and return the product through the supply chain standpoint. And mm -hmm. then in many of those instances via different technologies. So I would say every one of our six regions uses a different technology at this point in time for how returns are processed. Um, which complicates stuff on a global level, but it's we select the best v vendor in those markets to help drive those pieces. Um, but regardless, the goal is that customers can get a refund within um, three to four business days of that return being received by either the distribution center that processes it, or in some cases, as soon as when the carrier gets the product. Um, right. I think Germany is a really example where we use DHL for returns. Um, and as soon as the carrier gets the product, they scan the label, the return starts getting processed in the background because we trust the customer and we trust that they're returning that particular product um, to us. And we don't want them to have to wait for a refund to happen down the line. Do you see customer expectation change by demographic? Um, is there something to do with age in that? Is there something to do with brand profile in terms of the expectations of the returns experience? I haven't seen, we haven't looked at it transparently in terms of age demographic. Um, in terms of the, the returns experience in general based on brand, um, I think most customers at this point in time, it's much more along the simplicity and how quickly can they go through it and how frictionless, I'll use the word, um, they can yeah. go through the returns experience. Customers don't want to spend a lot of time processing a return. They're obviously not happy with an order for one reason or another. And they don't want to spend a lot of their time going to it. I mean, even me, um, for example, I processed a return the other day and like having to drive it to UPS to some degree was added friction to the process. Um, yeah. And finding ways to remove that friction for the right reasons is, is really important. And I think technology is a huge lever to unlock uh, some of those friction points um, that we can improve for the customer experience. Yeah, I've started to see a difference. Um, I've got a 25-year-old daughter. I've seen her start to select 
brands that she interacts with online based on the potential for the returns experience. You know, I've literally heard her say, not going to buy from them. It's really hard to return things. Um, and, and I must admit, it started to rub off on me. I'm starting to look at, you know, what the potential for that experience would be before I select a supplier. Um, yeah. So I wonder to what extent that may have started with with perhaps the younger generation who are more in tune with that and are now spreading to all demographics, even old people like me. <laughs> but it's the right thing to do. I mean, it's the yeah. right thing to do from a consumer experience. And that's what customers want. And at least from my perspective, I think it's what they deserve is if they're not happy with their purchase, um, for whatever reason, they should have to explain why they're not happy with it. But after that, they should be able to return the products um, within reason and and get a refund for it. And hopefully having a positive return experience drives resale um, for a better product they want because now they have trust and confidence in the company that says, okay, if I'm not happy, um, I can get my money back. But I know the next time if I purchase something, um, I, I had that same positive experience regardless of Yeah, exactly. And, and that returns experience is, is a real key driver for me in terms of, of repeat purchase, actually. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it goes back to the Omni experience, right? If I can go buy a product online, um, not happy with it, I can return it in a store. Now the customer's in a store, the customer the, the customer gets their, free, their refund right away, but now they're in a store and they can walk around yeah. and say, hey, I wasn't happy with this. So they can get a beauty advisor to say, Okay, well, let's try these other options that are available there. So I think that's the, the the cycle that Omni continues to drive is now a customer doesn't have to wait three to four business days to get a refund. They can get it immediately or they can get a store credit and they can just purchase a different item in the store if that's how they choose that they want to process their return. And does that return experience extend across all your brands, Chris, or, or is it different by brand? It's going to be different by brand based on storefronts. So sure. I think Este has over 25 different brands and not all brands have storefronts. So yeah. returns experience in North America, for example, for like Mac, which has um, well over uh, 50 storefronts across the U.S. is going to be different than what it might be for Bobby Brown, which uh, I don't believe has any direct storefronts. So it is going to vary to some degree based on brand. Right. And, and what... What differences are you seeing in terms of, I'm nipping back to sustainability. I'm, I'm interested to understand whether you're seeing different demands by different demographics for sustainable solutions. Is that something you're experiencing? I would say yes. The local demographics, um, I don't necessarily think it's like an age um, type of demographic. I think it's more of a, uh, a belief system. And I think right. people with different belief systems tend to migrate towards each other. Um, yeah. So I think a really good example in North America uh, would be California. Uh, there's a lot of push for a lot of sustainable solutions, um, everything recyclable, 5R, stuff along those lines. Um, yeah. I wouldn't necessarily say that's the same push that consumers that live in, I'll use my state, Texas, as an example, um, is the biggest selling point. But I don't necessarily think it matters. Like I think over the course of the next five or 10 years, local governments, region, our, uh, federal governments, will continue to push sustainable solutions um, to companies. And it's a matter of us to get ahead of it. Um, yeah. And then I think as customers see that their choice selection shopping experience isn't negatively impacted by it, um, they'll start to continue to, to, to buy into it and know it's the right thing to do. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I find that whole ESG um, subject absolutely fascinating in terms of you know what what motivates companies with their ESG solutions is it regulation or is it customer demand um interested in your view on that 
I think it's both, but I also think that we tie sustainability to higher cost. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of companies up to this point have done that. I think consumers even to this point have done that. And I don't think that's necessarily the case. Um, yeah. I don't think sustainability has to be at a higher cost. I think it's doing a better job managing supply chain um, within the company itself. A really good example is air freight. Um, air freight is, yeah. drives a ton of carbon emissions. And while you can look at different fuels and stuff along those lines, the easier solution is do a better job within your supply chain of um, predicting where you need to have raw materials, where you need to have finished goods. Um, and then by doing a better job from a predictability standpoint, you can leverage ocean, um, you can leverage rail, you can leverage even truck and drive down your overall carbon emissions, which um, you know, drive down your overall cost, which in the same breath drive down carbon emissions. So yeah. I, I think up to this point, there's a lot of this is more expensive than, than that. Um, I don't necessarily believe that. I think at the end of the day, um, as we evolve into a more sustainable world, um, costs will go down for sustainable solutions and we'll be able to do a better job of delivering to customers at the same or cheaper price points in that. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. And I think the world is changing. Um, I'm far more cost conscious um, in terms of what I buy, but I am at the stage where I balance that with the, the damage that I'm potentially doing to the environment and how I can mitigate that damage. And I think a lot of people are moving in that direction. You know, is, is the risk worth the cost? Yeah. So Chris, tell me, what effect are social commerce and influencers having on your sector? It's a really good question. Um, I, I think it's a growing trend uh, in our APAC region. A lot of our sales and stuff get driven by social comments, social media influencers, and it drives a lot of unpredictability into our supply chain, honestly, because it's not necessarily the most recent sale promo that an influencer might be picking up on. They might have found a really good product at a Mac store or a Joe Malone store, and they really want to share it with their followers. So it yeah. really drives an interesting spike in sales that we might not have anticipated and might not necessarily have the stock for. And I think right. this really goes back and ties to the Omni experience of when that happens, how do you leverage our inventory pools across multiple countries, uh, multiple DCs? How do you use in-store inventory pools to really handle that versus telling customers, hey, your product is backordered. We'll send you an email uh, yeah. in a couple of days, letting you know when you'll get it. So. Um, and I think it's a growing trend. Um, I know in North America, Instagram, uh, X, a lot of those platforms are starting to offer in-app shopping um, for a lot of purchases. And I think it's more or less from my perspective, will be a new wave of the future of how we shop um, based on what we see, whether it's celebrities, influencers, uh, really drive on social channels um, to help. And it, it results in impulse purchases, which... I think also then leads down to the returns line of yeah. I bought this because so and so recommended it. I got it. I'm really not happy with it. So I think there'll actually be an additional resounding impact on what does that look like from a return standpoint uh, when people are impulse buying and then realizing that it might not be for them, even though it was for the person that they're following. And does that change by region? Have you seen much um, much diversification across that trend, region over region? For, from an EFC standpoint, right now it's very heavy in the APAC region, so the Asian Pacific region um, yep. that that's being followed. Uh, it's starting to emerge more and more in North America um, as right. kind of, I would say, the next major major hub. And we're already well underway preparing for how do we supply them, where do we ship them from, tech integrations with the different companies. Um, 
I would say in Europe, not so much at this point in time. Um, haven't seen a huge trend at this point in time in Europe, but I think it's only a matter of time before um, that that starts happening and starts getting pushed through. So it'll, it'll be really interesting to see over the next five years. Um, yeah. But it's not surprising that there'll be a different way of shopping um, that, that will emerge in our online supply chain business. Absolutely. And, I'm, and I guess that's one of the benefits of, of being part of a, of a global organization, isn't it? A trend that you see in one region, you're, you're able to start to recognize some of the triggers for that trend in others and, and anticipate the need before it before it hits. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Nice. And, and in your role as global omni-channel distribution director, how do you measure success? Are there one or two KPIs that, that, that are more... Um, more relevant to you than others or, or is it a, is it a balanced scorecard? Um, I go back to my roots. So when I started my professional career, um, I started in customer care um, and my job was to take calls from very, very angry customers who were unhappy with the experience that they got. Uh, most people don't call customer care um, when they have a positive experience. Um, so I go they back to- whinge about it on, on X or, or, yep. or some- X, Twitter, yeah. social media, social listening. Um, so I measure a lot of success we do in supply chain because it's not necessarily always tangible, like cost is tangible, how much money you spend, but customer yeah. experience is a very intangible piece. Um, I look to our customer care team. Are they getting less contacts about, uh, about particular areas that we're focusing on? Um, are we looking at post customer contact surveys to say, Hey, are, are there any tidbits that we can lean out of this area? Um, those are the areas that I really go back to when I measure success from a supply chain standpoint is the voice of the customer. And maybe some of that social listening. Um, but that's when I go to sleep at night, that's that's what I think about is when I like the work I'm doing right now, um, are customers happy about it and are they happy the way that that's going? Nice. So so Chris, let me let me ask you, um, I know you're very passionate about customer service. How do you define customer experience? Um, how do you work out what customers want? And and how can we as your supply chain partner help you deliver it? Yeah, for sure. Um I think customer experience is the whole, it's not just supply chain. It's, I want to look for a product or I want this product. So it's the online shopping experience um, all the way through towards when the customer clicks purchase. And at that point yeah. in time, that's when supply chain becomes steps in and becomes the, the critical partner of delivering that customer experience. So when a customer purchases a product, they're getting told uh, potentially when it's going to get delivered, um, how it's going to get delivered. Um, so they have these expectations. And yeah. then it's up to supply chain at a very fundamental level to deliver it on time, deliver it in the condition that it's supposed to be, aka in most cases not damaged, um, and deliver the product that the customer asked for. So at a very fundamental level, in my mind, I, ca I call that perfect order, but that's what supply chain is responsible for delivering to the customer. Um, and then in SDA, from my perspective, we try to deliver not just a perfect order, but an exceptional order. So it goes back to that unboxing experience. Um, how do you really delight the customer uh, when they open the package and say, wow, this is more than I expected, or this is better than I expected um, coming out of that. And I think supply chain controls that experience very well um, and is able to, to deliver that. It's interesting that you should use the term um, delighting the customer there. Um, it's one of our commitments to our customers. It's interesting that, you know, it very much should be one of our commitments to, to your customers as well. Yeah, for sure. And I think the, the last mile, I mean, we had talked about white glove, but the, the, the last mile experience is a reflection on the company that's sending the product. So yeah. if DHL is delivering a package or UPS or FedEx, 
that last mile delivery that shows up to the customer is a reflection on the brand, is a reflection yeah. on who the company chooses for last mile delivery. Um, and it's a reflection on whether the customer will come back and shop with us. Completely. I, I completely agree with you. It is about that end-to-end, -end, isn't it? We're, we're all in it together, very much a business partner to make sure that the customer experience in the purchase of the brand they've selected is a really positive one. So um, I know you haven't got a crystal ball, and if you did, you'd probably be lifting it as one of your um, one of your um, your keep fit initiatives. But if you did have a crystal ball, where would you see the future of supply chain for Estee Lauder going? I think Estee Lauder is going to be 100% globally on the bandwagon of delivering an Omni experience uh, over the next five and 10 years for customers. I think the focus is going to be get products as close to customers as possible to reduce cost for us, but to improve uh, selection uh, and delivery speeds for customers um, across the globe. Um, I think that's a major initiative that our senior leadership team has, but it's also fundamentally the right thing to do for customers. Um, it's fundamentally giving them options selection. So I think as we march towards kind of 2030, those are a lot of the key initiatives that we're working to drive. And then hitting major sustainability goals are, is the next major focus area. There's a lot of focus this year and last year on reduction of air freight. And now we're translating that to tertiary packaging. It's moving into how we leverage 3PLs to drive better sustainable solutions. Um, and how do we really fully get to a point that we're carbon neutral um, as a company? Amazing. Christopher, thank you so much for joining me today. It's great to meet someone with the word omnichannel in their title. I've been waiting for this time and, and here it is. It's been a real pleasure talking to you today. Thanks to all our listeners too, whether you're joining us on our website, or via Spotify or via YouTube. Please give us your feedback and let us know what other subjects you'd like to cover in the series of Supply Chain Podcast. Thanks everyone. Speak soon.